Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. I am glad that Val got baptized. You know why Val got baptized? We're not sure when we're going to have our next baptism service, but um, Val got baptized because she was at a baptism where she saw a bunch of people give their lives to Christ and and get baptized, and uh, then she got baptized at the next one. So I know that's going to be somebody's story. How are we doing, everybody? I have a, a brand new series for you. Um, uh, we've been preparing at Venue for a while. Uh, this is the, the series. It's called Bad Timing. So you see some of our, um, our, our, the ski mask branding that we're doing around this, which you maybe saw in the lobby when you came in here, but we're edgy. We're an edgy church. Some of us are a little over the edge in the church, but um, it's, it's going to be an interesting series. It's going to be interesting because uh, bad timing. You know, there's, there's nothing like, like being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Can I hear an amen from every regret we've ever had? But there's also nothing like being in the right place at the right time. And, and I believe this. Now, you might not be a God person or a Jesus person yet, but I believe that, that if the devil can control your timing, he can control you. So sometimes we get so worried about the, you know, well, is it the right thing? Is it the right thing? Is it the right thing? I'll tell you what, if the right thing in the wrong time can be the wrong thing, it's, it's getting this timing of your life into the hands of God. Now, now, you might not believe in the devil, but I don't even know how that's possible because it, do you watch the news? I mean, all the pain and suffering in the world, people blame God. I don't know why you'd blame God for that. Uh, that's a whole other topic for another day. Why is there pain and suffering and how can God be good? But I would say that, that if, if you've experienced pain and how personal pain can be, I believe that the devil is out there to get you. And he also wants to control your timing. Now, here's the thing that you need to know about you is that the devil has watched your game tape a lot. Yeah. Now, do we know what a game tape is? Yeah. I watch a lot of soccer. And so when you, when you go and play, when, when Liverpool beats Arsenal and beats all the other terrible teams in the Premier League, um, when they do this, it's like heaven is smiling upon the Reds. Of but one of, the, one of the ways that they get in at their opponents is they watch game tapes. So whatever sports you're into, if you're into sports, people watch the game tapes. Now, here's, here's the thing. They know how that defender is going to react in this situation. Well, here's the thing about you. I know that you think you're unique. And you, you are a little bit. But um, if there's 7.7 billion people on earth right now, there's probably a few million that are kind of like you. And the devil has watched your game tape like 14 million times. He knows how you're going to respond in certain situations. And that's what temptation is, right? He'll set you up. Why is it you're just like, why did that happen in that, right, in that timing? Why was I presented with that terrible opportunity at the wrong time? Well, because the devil has watched your game tapes. Now, the only thing that the devil is afraid about in your life is if you start giving your life into the hands of God, because God is all about blocking and tackling, but every play that God does is kind of a new play. And the devil doesn't see him coming. And so, so what we have to do is we have to get the timing of our lives into the hands of God. Now, you might not believe in God, but I think you should. Sometimes yeah, in Canadian culture, this is what we do. We have firmly held beliefs that we didn't really arrive at very logically. We had no process that actually got us there. We just ate a sandwich one night and decided that God was that light bulb there. And then we firmly hold on to that. I think we can do a little better than that. But if you're in this world, you know that there's evil and suffering. You know it's personal. And I believe that the devil wants to get you and get, control your timing. Now, if he can control your timing, he can control you. So um, 
There's nothing like being in the right place at the right time. So I'm, I'm doing this whole series today about, uh, about the, the, in the book of Esther, and I really need you to go and just read it in your, in your y'all reading the Bible every morning when you, when you wake up now? You're not checking social media. Why would you do that? Why would you give control of your life to whoever's posting on social media? I, wanna, I want you to find out what God thinks about you before you find out what anybody else thinks about you. Um, or to find some horrible thing to compare yourself to because you'll never be her, so relax. In fact, she's not her bathroom selfie. Hashtag, so proud of myself. Um, <laughs> that's an inside joke. You got to come here a little bit to, to get this. But I don't have time to you know, preach for two hours every week about the, the book of Esther. I only have three weeks to do this. So the first week I've called the proud king. The second week is the angry villain. And the third week is the humble hero. Now, what happens when you get a group of, of men in, in a room that have no female supervision? It's funny, but there's, yeah, it's a mess. Um, fail Army. America's Funniest Home Videos, if you even know what that is. That show is still on, you know? We watch it with our kids. It's terrible, but it's pretty funny still. What happens when you get a whole, a whole room of, uh, full of men that are unsupervised by women, and then you add alcohol to the fire, and they're in charge of a nation? Uh, it, takes a, um, it takes a young girl to save them. You'll see in this story. <laughs> Well, that's not unusual. You knew that before anyways. But I'm just thinking about your life and about my life. See, the beauty of it is humility puts you in the right place at the right time. Um, and there's nothing like being in the right place at the right time. I mean, I remember when Aaron and I were dating. And when you're dating somebody, like, you don't have these huge windows of opportunity. Sometimes you just got to kind of close the deal. You know what I'm talking about? Guys, you know, <laughs> preach. Yeah, preach. Um, and I remember this, this one evening. We were, uh, it, it was... It was raining, so I was in a great mood. I wrote an article for the, for the paper this week saying that when the weather's bad, uh, it, it puts a 40% damper on Canadians' moods. <laughs> I think that it does. I don't know. Have you ever thought about that? Anyways, it puts me in a good mood when it's raining out. And so we, um, we were doing some music for, uh, I think, Campus Crusade for Christ or somebody. And so we were doing this band practice or a thing that we were doing in uh, the UFC campus. And so, um, but I, I didn't feel like like hauling all the music equipment in. So I just took my little red Jeep. I had this little red Jeep and it was pretty amazing. And, and I, I just drove it right, right up the walking pass, right to the building that I was going to. Because I, I break the rules, man. I'm breaking rules. And I was in a good mood and we were loading equipment in afterwards. I think Dr. Pepper was involved. And I was playing uh, out of the back of my Jeep. I was playing that um, uh, Irish music, Cranberries, Dolores O'Rourdon, uh, Zombie, that romantic song. And I was in an amazing, in your head, do you know that song? In your head, yeah, angry Irish music. And there was this moment, and I think that's the moment that Aaron fell in love with me. <laughs> there's nothing like being in the right place at the right time. When you think about that, you know, like there's these magical moments where you got to seize the opportunity, man. I shared my Dr. Pepper with her. I've never done that since because I hate sharing stuff, but I did it that night. In the right place at the right time. God had my timing, man. The angel's just like, you need to share this right now. I'm like, share? What is share? I asked her if she wanted one, and she said, no. Why would I share my stuff? That's bad planning. We went for a walk one night, uh, kind of around a lake that was by her place in Calgary, and, and I talk about bad planning. I don't know if she didn't bring a jacket. Do you bring a jacket? She was cold. She's always cold. So I gave her my jacket. And we talked. 
You give me an hour, I can talk you into marrying me too. <laughs> I can talk. There's nothing, nothing like being in the right place at the right time. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I could. I could talk you into marrying me. It would make sense. <laughs> I'm not going to. No, because I might. No. Um, my sermon title today is The Proud King. Now, this sermon is about pride. Now, if you're proud, believe me, the devil already has your number. He doesn't even really have to lay traps for you because you'll lay them for yourself. And so what God wants to do is bring this other thing called humility into your life. Next week, we're going to talk about anger. If somebody can wave a red flag in front of you and get you to respond and react to something, that, isn't, that doesn't belong to God. And you need to give that to God. But pride is this other thing that, that when we make decisions in, in, the, in our pride, we make very fast decisions. Way too fast. A proud person doesn't live in this tension in the middle of like, I don't know if I should do this or not. Maybe I'm wrong. Why? Because if somebody's ever said this to you, like, you're never wrong, that's not a compliment. <laughs> but when we're proud, we don't really think that. We don't assume that we would be wrong about something or have a wrong viewpoint. or We just think that we're right. We think that the way we're thinking about it and the way that we're feeling about it must be right. And proud people make fast decisions. There's something about pride that lets the devil control our... our our timing. Now, the thing about pride, too, and, and I hate to point out the obvious here, but nobody in the room is thinking to themselves, like, hey, Pastor Corey, you can just dismiss everybody else because I know you're talking to me right now. <laughs> I know what you're thinking because I have a spirit of prophecy all over me. and I know you're like, I wish my husband was here right now. This would be perfect for him. Yeah, well, if he was here, he'd be thinking about you, too. That's the thing about pride is that all the devil has to do is whisper in your ear like, oh, that other person is. And then he fills the blank in with your weaknesses and you go for it. Because subconsciously, I think you already know your failings and you just see them in somebody else because if you see them in somebody else, you don't have to deal with your own. <laughs> see, no, you still think I'm talking to somebody else. You're waiting for them to come. No, no, no. It's, if we would apply this word about pride and, and from this account of Esther... If you would apply this to your life, then the devil would be able to, he wouldn't be able to control your timing like he does. Because a humble person's timing, I believe, is in the hands of God. There's something that's, that's incredibly poorly timed about a proud person. So when, when, when you play sports, are you a trash talker? I play soccer a little bit, and I, you know, I may partake in, I always invite them to church after, though. So I, I may partake in the talking of a little trash during playing soccer. I don't do it with people who don't like it, but we play with a bunch of Afghans and they show up with all their cousins and brothers and they tra talk trash. I'm just like, God, when, when in Rome, you got to be like the Romans to reach. And I like trash talking anyways. And so we, we started talking, but it's funny that as soon as you trash talk somebody, it's funny what happens in your soccer playing immediately. <laughs> Right? So I'll run by somebody and one of them will make, you know, like a, make a terrible shot. I'll be like, hey, nice shot, and just keep running. You know? But then it's funny that my next shot, I could miss a sitter right in front of goal. It always comes back on me, and I always do it. And I'll still do it next time because I think it's funny. <laughs> hey, nice shot. Yeah, what's up? And then they run by me like, hey, nice shot. And I'll be like, ah, I shouldn't have trash talked, but I still do it. And pride is like that. It's hard to see in the mirror, but it's completely repeatable and predictable. And so God has to... Now, now if you're still not thinking that it's you, let me ask some questions here to, to, uh, to see if, if you might be a proud person or not. Um, 
Sorry. Uh, so have you ever considered yourself an authority on an issue before you actually had a result with that particular issue? You're 19 and you're an expert on parenting. And every mom is like, shut your face. You don't know anything about parenting. You don't have any kids. Don't talk to me about... Okay. Talking to somebody else. Um, do you easily and immediately admit wrong and apologize? Like in the middle of a fight, you're the person who stops themselves and you're like, you know what? I'm just mad because I'm not getting what I want and I'm acting like a two-year-old and I'm sorry. Is that you? Hmm. Okay. Okay. We're getting, we're getting warmer. Uh, when something happens, who do you think about first? And don't say your family because that still has to do with you. Okay. If there's layoffs at work and 20 people lose their jobs, who do you think about first? The single mom three cubicles down or you? Okay. Um, do you ask for help when you need it? I hate asking for help. I hate asking for directions, actually. <laughs> Thank God for Google Maps. Um, do you isolate yourself to make decisions, or do you just make fast decisions all by yourself? Mm, I might have an issue with pride. Do you isolate yourself following a failure? Are you easily baited? Are you easily flattered? And are you easily hurt? I was thinking about this this morning, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was talking to me and saying, like, you know, it's really hard to offend a humble person. It's really hard to offend a humble person, because they're just like, you know what, they're kind of mad at me, they said some stuff, but I don't know, some of that's kind of maybe true, some of it's not, maybe, that, maybe they're just mad about something else, and maybe I'm, you know, a humble person, you just can't get to them, right? Like, oh, I, maybe that's more about them than it's about me. I don't need to get upset about that just because somebody says something about me. Is this working? <laughs> Esther chapter 1. These events happened in the days of King Xerxes, who reigned over 127 provinces. There's more than you got. Stretching from India to Ethiopia. So this is modern-day Turkey, Iran, Iraq, Pakistan, Jordan, Lebanon, Israel, parts of Egypt, Sudan, Libya. So this is a massive, massive kingdom. Um, so this guy has actually done stuff. King Xerxes, he's our proud king that we're talking about today. At that time, Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. In the third year of his reign, so he hasn't been reigning very, very long here, so he kind of inherited a lot of things in, in the kingdom of the Persians and Medes. And so in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. He invited all the military officers of Persia and Media, as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. The celebration lasted, listen to this, you thought you had a birthday party. 180 days. A tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his, of his majesty. On six months, a party. You're like, wow, that was generous of him. Yeah, well, he just raised, it would be like our prime minister just raising taxes to throw himself a six-month party, right? Like, well, where did the money come from? He's not paying for this. Yeah, let's throw a party. When it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people from the greatest to the least who were in the fortress of Susa. It lasted for seven days and was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. Uh, verse 7, drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs, and there was an abundance of royal wine reflecting the king's generosity. Now, by edict of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking. <laughs> Here's hoping <laughs> Nova Scotia doesn't show up. Um, <laughs> you all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I've been on vacations with Nova Scotians, and yikes. Um, for the king had instructed all, you, don't even, come on. We live in a real world. I love Nova Scotians. 
I'm just saying. For the king had instructed all his palace officials to serve each man as much as he wanted. At the same time, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. So you got all the men having a, having a drunken campfire outside for seven days, and then you got all the women in the palace. On the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine, he was drunk because of the wine. Now, there's a Bible verse that says, like, it's not for kings to get loaded, guys. Like, justice goes out the window. There's a reason why. The Bible kind of makes sense. He told seven of the guys who attended him, uh, all of their names, there won't be a test, so I'm not going to read them, um, to bring Queen Vashti, his queen, to him with the royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. So now you can imagine here, all the guys have been drinking around the campfire, and, um, and they're all talking about how hot their girlfriends and wives are. Yeah. Proof that, <laughs> that rappers existed back then. <laughs> <laughs> there was a day when like, every song was like, yeah, my girlfriend is so hot and I got all this money. Still, um, <laughs> Persian rappers. But now, now all the guys have been drinking and they come up with this great idea. They're talking about who's hotter. And so the, the king is like, my, well, obviously the queen is the hottest. And so she's going to come out here. And um, the idea here is like, this was probably in, uh, not a modest request or what they wanted her to do was probably not a modest sort of a deal, right? And so um, when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. Now, I don't know how she refused to come. There's refusal and then there's other ways to refuse stuff. Um, but still, it created this tension here. She refused to come. This made the king furious and he burned with anger and he immediately, like, quick, get drunken advice from people. <laughs> I hear sometimes like, yeah, we were out at a campfire and we were drinking and then we were talking about, you know, our thoughts about God. You talk about your thoughts about God. Your thoughts about God don't make any sense when you're not drunk. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're drunk. So quick, make fast decisions, everybody. He consulted with his wise advisors, who are also drunk, if we can say this, who knew all the Persian laws and customs, for he always asked for, for their advice. What must be done in verse 15 to Queen Vashti, the king demanded. What penalty does the law provide, listen to this, for a queen who refuses to obey the king's orders properly sent through his eunuchs? So like, I, I did everything right. <laughs> so you properly sent improper orders. Oh, okay. And you're, okay. Mem, you can, <laughs> first of all, if that's your name, you got a problem. You know that you're going to be the bad guy in a story. I'm just saying. Answered the, kings and, and the king and his nobles. Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also every noble and citizen throughout your empire. Now that, that sounds great unless he's had too much to drink. And it's like, women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn that Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king. <laughs> and my 11th of the 11th birthday, Bilbo Baggins. Before this day is out, the wives of all the king's nobles throughout Persia, before this day is out. How does that even make sense? Before this day is out? All the, the wives of all the king's nobles throughout Persia and Media will hear what the queen did and will start treating their husbands the same way? There will be no end to their contempt and anger. You can send an email out? Before the end of the day, you tell me they're not drinking. So if it pleases the king, 
We suggest that you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and Medes that cannot be revoked. Now listen to this. What you need to know about their culture is that once a law was in place, there was nothing in their culture that allowed that law to be removed. So now they're going to create a law, which is what you do in your life when, when you're proud. You create a law that you end up living the rest of your life by. And they're doing this from this place of pride and drunkenness. They're men, man. They're going to make decisions. Listen. It should order that Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of King Xerxes and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. Right, but let's not talk about the king. (laughs) When this decree is published throughout the vast king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, whatever their rank, will receive proper respect from their wives. Oh, you girls, you're going to love this one. You're going to love this. The king and his nobles throughout uh, thought this made good sense. Well, again, they were drunk. So he followed Mamukin's counsel. He sent letters to all parts of the empire to teach um, to each province in its own script and language, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler of his own home and should say whatever he pleases. Verse 1 of chapter 2. But after Xerxes' anger subsided, you know, it's, it's better to do this before... But he did it after, and, and pride will make you do things after. It says, he began thinking <laughs> about Vashti. <laughs> like, his brain got engaged in, like, what just happened? And what she had done in the decree he had made. <laughs> about pride. About pride. See, pride gets you, it, it disengages your brain. And then, and then you're only left with the, let's think about this after I do, I've done stuff. Pride puts you in patterns in your life of things that you regret, but also what it does is it creates laws that you live by. Ways that you think, laws that you make up for your soul. Habits. Pride makes these things, they're just your normal, but they're not normal, and they're not healthy. They just, you say something, and then you have to kind of keep going, right? You say it, and then you just kind of, then I, well, the next time, and then it's just easier to fall into the same traps and, and to keep going, rather than hit the reset button and pride. Pride. I, I worked for a company one time for over a decade and, and uh, that particular owner of the company lost like 60% of his guys in the whole shop in uh, like a matter of like three months. Something had come up and all the guys running sites had gone and talked to him and said like, hey, we, need, we have an issue with this one person here that you, know, you need to like look into because he's costing you money and all the healthy people keep leaving. And, and two weeks later, we had a, a, another meeting where the owner told everybody just to shut up and do what they're told. And I, I went home after that meeting and I remember telling Aaron, I'm like, oh my goodness, just the, the pride of that. Now, now person was still my boss and so I still had to respect and honor that and yet I said to myself like I don't want anybody to feel that way around me ever just like shut up everyone you got nothing to say well if you surround yourself with people who have nothing to say is that really what you want people who can only agree with everything that you think and I remember I, I quit that job and I went and worked for a friend of mine who was in the same position a few years before and had gone out and created a competing company because that's what you do. You'll lose your best people. And he created a competing company in the same town. And one day I was talking to him on the phone. Uh, he was asking about something else. And, and uh, he's like, hey, how's it going working where you work? And I'm like, not really good today. He goes, why don't you come work for me? And I'm like, okay. 
it's weird for somebody like me to make that sort of a decision that quickly, but I realized, you know what, here's a different type of a person. You need to ask for advice and humble, just a different type of a person. And I went in, when, when I went in to give uh, my two weeks notice, I went in I, and I talked to a person, you know, the boss that I had known for a long time in the company, and, and he was absolutely shocked, and proud people, like you and I know, that when we're in a proud place, you will get absolutely slammed with something, and it will be a complete shock. Like, you'll have no idea that it's coming. The problem, all of a sudden, you wake up, and your marriage is, like, on the rocks, and you didn't see it coming. Why? Pride does that. It's just terrifically blinding. And then, um, so I gave him the news, and he was just shocked. I could see he was completely shocked. He didn't know that, like, people were moving out of the company. Like, probably, you don't, you don't recognize what you don't want to recognize. And so I came in to work the Monday morning, and he wanted another meeting with me, and I sat with him. And then he's like, you could tell he hadn't slept all, all weekend. And you could tell now he was actually having to, to evaluate some of the decision-making. And he said to me, like, are you really going to go? And I'm like, well, I've already given my word, and it's kind of a done deal. And so... Then he says, what could I have done differently? And I think that that was the first time he'd ever asked that. And I said, and I wasn't arrogant about it, I just like, have you ever read a leadership book? Have you ever listened to a podcast that could make you a better business owner? Do you have any mentors? Have you ever gotten better? And I realized that that it was a typical thing in Canadian culture is that we stop at like John Maxwell. Can I preach a little John Maxwell? We stop at level one of leadership, which is like, I have a position, therefore everybody must listen. You have to, have you ever said that? Like, you have to listen to me because I'm in charge. Well, that's level one. So technically it's kind of true, but there's like four other levels to leadership too, where you have to like earn it a little bit. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? You got to earn it. Then you got to ask occasional questions about their family. You, they, you want them to care about your business. Well, why don't you ask about their family? How are your kids? And actually mean it. There's all these other steps that happen along the way, but I realized that's just it. When you're proud, you don't think you have to improve. Hmm. And what I, I came up with this here, and I think it's really good. What combats pride is a little combat. What combats pride is a little bit of conflict sometimes. You have to, criticism is not the worst thing in the world. I'm not saying it's all good, but there's a seed of truth in there. What combats pride is getting that seed of truth out and being like, you know what? They're not right about most of it, but I got to look at that thing, actually. I got to, I'm going to actually apply, you know what? I'm going to think about that. I'm going to pray about that. What combats pride is surrounding yourself with people who don't see the world the same way as you. I mean, like moral failures. I'm, I'm talking about like people who, just don't think and feel the same way that you feel. People who challenge your thinking sometimes. A little combat. Now, we've got in this case here, um, this whole story of a bunch of men getting together and then making a decree to see that they're respected in their own homes. Now, there is a biblical order of the world, and you were created to be in there someplace. And until you find your place and how you were made and how you were designed, you'll never really be happy. You know, you know that, even if you're not a God person. Until you find your place, you won't know how that works. And so... I mean, NXT is all about that with, with um, afterwards at, at 12 o'clock afterwards, you want to find out who you are and who the church is, come to NXT. And we've had like full NXT rooms and we love that. And it's how we get you involved in small groups and dream team and stuff. But if you don't know who you are and where you fit in that, you'll constantly be trying to do somebody else's job and you won't be good at it. And so even in the home, there's this order of things that's supposed to happen. Like, like can, I, can I preach at the men a little bit? Like, you should be protecting your home. You should be on the front line. Like, hey, nobody comes into my, nothing comes into my home to hurt my family. 
Oh, devil. No, we will put locks on the internet. No, and, 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 and here's what you need to do. Like, I am not above that either. So a proud person makes a bunch of rules and they only like rules that they make, but the trouble is they don't keep their own rules when they don't feel like keeping their own rules. Oh, I feel like it's quiet in here. I feel like everybody did leave except for that one person. Don't shout me down. But, but it's this thing that all the men in the kingdom, and I mean, even in old church cultures, I got to say, we didn't get this quite right here because all the men wanted to be respected and wanted to be, you know, the kings of their little castles and, and stuff. But here's, here's the thing. You only ever have as much authority as you give away. You only ever have as much authority over the people under you as you've given to the people over you. And so even in the church back in the day, it was this whole thing like, you know, the man is answerable only to God. No, he is definitely not because he's got a boss at work and he's got a small group leader and he's got his brothers in the church. Come on. And he's got his pastor. No, absolutely. The man is not answerable only to God. God put people in your life, men. You want your, your wives to respect you. Well, who do you respect? Why is it that you're off limits? Nobody... Come on, I'm preaching. Girls, man, you need to be like, come on, yeah, like, yeah. No, who do you submit to? That's not an off-limits question in a Christian home. Absolutely. Don't, don't bring it up in the middle of a fight. Wait till everything's all calm and just be like, so, how's your group of guys doing? Moms, you want your kids to listen to you? Well, who do you listen to? Why would they listen to you if you don't listen to anybody? That's how it works. But a proud person just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb and just wants everything done the way that they want everything done. But they're not willing to bend. They're not willing to obey. They're not willing to... Here's what submission is. When we disagree, I'll do what you want. If you're an authority over... That's what that means. We'll go your way. I'm just bringing this counsel to you. If you don't take it, that's okay. That's how it was at work. Like, you're the boss. You sign the checks. You want to do it that way? Let's do it that way. I don't care. Here's some, here's some input so you have more information to make a good decision. But whatever. You sign the checks. I want a check. That's good. Lord, give me a check. But iron sharpens iron sometimes. And in conflict, you start realizing how much pride you have. Iron sharpens iron. <laughs> Kevin Durant sharpens up Draymond Green. You guys watch basketball? One person watches basketball. They had this big blow up for the Golden State Warriors last week. I just love the politics. Let me, let me set up the scene for you. Ball is inbounded. Draymond Green, who's like a defensive specialist, gets the ball, and Kevin Durant. Now, if you know who Kevin Durant is from the Warriors, like the dude is like the top scoring. He's, a, he's the whole package of a basketball player. Nobody here watches basketball. All right, I'm going to preach to the guy in the back then. So the, the defensive specialist gets the ball and starts taking it up the court, and Kevin Durant's doing one of these, like, give me the ball. I'm right here. Four seconds on the clock. Defensive, drives it up. Draymond Green loses the ball in the middle, and then they have a spat on the, on the bench. Yeah, iron sharpens iron. But they're both really strong personality types, and they're both natural-born leaders, and iron sharpens iron. And one person can't take all the glory there because you can't win a championship without a team. Yes, i got to preach about KD. <laughs> now, watch what this proud king does next. Sometime later in, in Esther chapter 3. Now, I'm not even going to preach about Esther. You're going to have to come back next week and then the next week to hear about Esther. I'm just setting this up. There's three players in here, two of which have terribly bad timing. And then the humble hero, 
this young woman, man, God uses her to save her entire nation. This was a Holocaust waiting to happen. Are you, are you ready for this? This is what the devil was setting in motion through the proud king and the angry villain. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, some of the Agagite, over all the other nobles. You can't say it either, so don't. Making him the most powerful official in the empire. Now catch this, making this guy the most powerful official besides the king in the whole empire. Now this man was a descendant of, um, of a little Bible history here, of King Agag of the Amalekites. Now the Amalekites were definitely anti-Semitic. So they hated Israel and the nation of the Jews. And so this descendant of King Agag is now like the number two in the whole country, over 127 provinces. How did this guy get put in charge of anything? Verse 8, then Haman approached King Xerxes. Now, this is what happens because, because they were both proud guys, but Haman had this other anger thing going on, and so did the king, actually. They're both kind of the, the villains in the story. And so what happened is there was a Jew named Mordecai, and his young cousin's name was Esther, and we'll get into that. But see, Mordecai wouldn't bow down to Haman because Mordecai knew that Haman was not a good man, and king's commander, no. He's like, no, I'm going to honor God first, and I can't honor this guy because this guy's a crazy person. And he wouldn't bow down in the gate and he wouldn't shout the praises of Haman as Haman would, you know, go through the city gates and stuff. And Haman finally notices. He doesn't notice, but when he notices, isn't that the way it is when you're proud? Uh, you don't notice somebody's slighted you until somebody points it out and then you get mad, but you didn't even know before. And so, but he gets so mad at the one guy that this is what, what anger will make you do. This is coming next week. That he, he, this is what happens next. He goes to the king and says, there is a certain race of people. It's not enough for him to go after Mordecai. There is a whole race of people scattered throughout the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. What of this is true? He also doesn't mention what race they are and the king doesn't ask. They were not disobeying the laws of the king. Not in the way that he's talking about. And it says, so it is not in the king's interest to let them live. The king is taxing them. It is definitely in the king's interest to let them live. He's lying. He's flattering. But the king is susceptible because the king is proud. If it please the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed, and I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in your bank account. 375 tons of silver. No red flags here, King Xerxes? Huh? He's like, oh, there's this group of rebels. And the king doesn't even ask and doesn't get any other information. He just goes for it. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, the son of uh, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said, the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. Verse 13, dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed slaughtered and annihilated on a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7th of the next year. The property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them. So you're starting to feel out how Haman is going to fund this venture of hate. He's going to organize a small army to go and kill a bunch of the Jewish people and confiscate their lands so that he can pay the bribe that he promised he would pay. 
so he could line his pockets. What a horrible thing coming at this nation. Now, you're not facing anything like that, but you are facing some sort of trouble in your life. And pride does not make that trouble go away. In fact, you might be playing into the hands of the trouble. And what God wants to do in this series is get your timing into his hands and getting your heart into a humble place. It says a copy of this decree in verse 14 was to be issued as law in every province. As Remember that irrefutable, unremovable law of the Persians and the Medes. Proclaimed to all people so that they would be ready to do their duty on the appointed day. To do their duty now. At the king's command, the decree went out by swift messengers. And it was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. Then listen. Then the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Susa fell into confusion. I don't know how hard this sermon is hitting you. I really believe that, that nobody's too far for God to reach. Now, there, there are consequences for some of your past decisions. People get pregnant and people get hurt. and Mostly it's the women who get pregnant, I guess. Now that I think about that, people. Unless there's something new going on, I don't know. But I know that there's one thing in your life that God wants to work on, and that's your pride. The thing is, pride is something that you can't really work on by yourself. You can discipline yourself, and that helps, but what you really need is the spirit of the living God and some practical tools so that the church is not about self-help. Like, come in and you can solve all your problems. No, we're like, you're a mess. You're deeply sinful because you're human and you were born into sin, and then you gave it wings. Red Bull, it, gave, it just gave you wings. And then you decided to sin, and then, no, you're deeply sinful, just like, like I am, except for the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And when, when Jesus came to die for your sin, he didn't just die and cover your sins and f- so that forgiveness could be yours, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or removal of those sins. He didn't just remove the sins in the sight of God. He rose again, and that signifies when you come out of the waters of baptism and the Spirit of God, comes in you and on you and and you actually move out from there in the power of the Spirit of God. And so if this pride has been a thing in your family, you're thinking to yourself, like, I don't even know, I don't even see it. Like, Pastor, you're right. Like, I keep falling in the same trap. The thing is, the thing is, God has put people in in a church and, and your small group and God has put people around you to help identify that, not so that you can work on it, but so that you can let God work on it. And so Jesus does the heavy lifting in your life and starts bringing this deep-hearted humility to you. And I think to myself here, like we look at the story and we're like, wow, he appoints this guy and this guy turns like into a maniac in a day, but it didn't happen in a day. And I can't help but ask myself, God, how many decisions do we make that we get wrong because it wasn't evident that we appointed the wrong person in place, we give a wrong person the job, we gave over the authority of our lives to the wrong thinking. And, And I can't help but think to myself, And I realized, you know, King Xerxes. King Xerxes. See, Haman didn't become this in a day, and he'd been doing this for years, because that's the only way you'd have the nerve to go and offer a bribe to a king, is if you've been bribing everybody along the way. And you think he's going to exterminate a whole nation of people, and he doesn't have bodies that he's killed? No, 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 he's got a history. And I realized in here, like, I'll take the, the, it's a heavy story, right? But I'll take that just into our lives and soften it a little bit. And I'll bet you that if King Xerxes had just asked six more questions, 
Haman never would have got a job. And I'll bet you, if he'd asked six more questions before he kept drinking, that he never would have got the kingdom into this fix in the first place. And after he was refused, however harshly from Queen Vashti, I'll bet you if he'd asked six more questions, or surrounded himself with people who would, I'll bet you he never would have created that decree either. I'll bet you all the trouble that comes to the nation of Israel and all the panic that it caused and the the possible loss of life of tens of thousands of people, I'll bet you none of that would have happened if the king hadn't been so proud because a humble person will ask six more questions. Here's some questions to ask. God, why did I get so upset when my wife... God, why did I get so upset when my kid... What's really going on inside of me? Because I shouldn't react like this. God... When my boss corrected me, why do I freak out like that? Why do I go and talk to everybody else but him or her? God, as I'm reading my Bible in the morning, God, correct me. I know I'm not thinking or feeling right about this. God, correct me. God, would your spirit come and soften my heart? I'm angry, God. I don't want to make angry decisions. I don't want to be proud, oh God. Six more questions. Six more questions. Six more questions. If you ask six more questions, I believe that the Spirit of God will begin to build this humility deep inside of your life. You say, Spirit of God, come in. Would you come in? Question one. Would you come in and would you correct? Question two. Would you come in and would you make me see things from a different perspective? God, that person is hurting, aren't they? Six more questions. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person this week that we would just ask six more questions. And be willing to live not as the proud who make fast decisions, but live in the tension of, God, people, we're responsible for people, and and are we really making the right decisions that we need to be making, God? I pray, Heavenly Father, that every person would start um, exercising wisdom, adding a little bit of time onto decisions that matter a lot. And I ask, Father, for, for this week that your presence would come and you would start removing that pride in our hearts that we can't remove and we can't even see. We pray you put us around people that love us enough to tell us the truth about ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.